I recently sat down to speak with my friend Mike Hicks. Mike is a practicing physician. He's the CEO of MCARE's Anesthesia Arm, MCARE Anesthesia Services. He's the regional medical director for a national healthcare company. And he's the founder and former president of Pinnacle Anesthesia, with which he still practices. As was reported in the press, Pinnacle recently merged its practice into U.S. Anesthesia Partners. And MCARE, which provided management services to Pinnacle, sold its related management assets to that same entity, U.S. Anesthesia Partners. Mike has some very interesting ideas about the future of healthcare. Listen in to the conversation. So, Mike, what I'd like to start with is if you could give us a, some sort of a brief overview of, um, of the various roles that, that, that you've had, both uh, with your group and in business, chiefly because uh, many of the physician leaders that, that I meet in the community, uh, frankly, really aren't leaders. They're perhaps the, the titular head of a group, uh, but for the most part, they're spending the huge majority of their time actually practicing medicine, uh, and they're really not working on their business at all. That's, that's sort of the poor stepchild. So explain the types of roles that, that, that you've held, in fact, and have held concurrently, which I think is highly instructive for the audience. Okay, thank you, Mark. Um, probably the best way for me to, to answer that question is to um, tell you a little bit about how I got into the roles to begin with. Like probably most of your listeners, uh, I, was, I started off as the conventional anesthesiologist. I uh, went to medical school, chose anesthesia as my, my, my specialty, did the residency, and I went into private practice. And, um, and when I went into private practice, at least in the, in the Dallas market at the time, solo practice was, was a very viable model. And so I, I'm not even sure leadership was a word that was applicable to anything I did. Okay. I provided good, solid, dependable clinical care, and, and uh, pretty much that's all I needed to do to be successful. But times changed in, in Texas. Uh, managed care came to town. Hospitals started to consolidate, and whether whether it was being bright or just being realistic, I, I realized at some point that solo practice was was not going to be viable, and started looking for some alternatives. And like like most anesthesiologists these days, decided that uh, there was some safety in numbers, and formed a very small group and. And over the years, that group grew uh, fairly quickly and, and, and to a fairly large extent uh, until uh, at one point I, I kind of raised my head up and looked around and found that I was, I was in a group of about 85 physicians. Uh, and this was in the very early 90s. And at that time, a group of 85 physicians was a fairly substantial a large group. Sure. And we managed ourselves, um, like most physician groups, uh, by the seat of our pants. We had had no training at all in, in anything outside of medicine. Uh, there was little, uh, precious little training in leadership, no training in business, even the fundamentals of running the business, uh, how to balance the books. It was all about, in residency, you know, keeping people alive and taking good care of them. So not surprisingly, we made a lot of mistakes. And... Um, and, and you can learn a lot by experience. In fact, it's probably the best teacher of, of all. Uh, and um, uh, 
but the day came, and at least we were smart enough at the time to realize that there were, after a few mistakes, that there were severe limitations to, as to what we knew and, and, uh, and what we could do with what we didn't know. So we, we did go outside and hire some professional management. So we, we had people that we hired from the managed care world and from the hospital world uh, and, and, the, and even the legal world to come in and help us and give us guidance. And that was probably one of the smartest things uh, that we did. Um, but we, we recognized, I think, quite appropriately that we were a physician in practice, a medical practice. And, and so we needed to have somebody, if, if for no other reason than, than a clever facade, needed to be seen as a leader. And um, now I, I hope that my colleagues, uh, if asked, would say that, that I wasn't a facade, I was actually a leader. Uh, and, I, and I think my body of work speaks to the fact that I was providing some leadership uh, uh, to the group. Um, but what happened over the years, we had a great deal of success, and that success allowed me the opportunity, and, and through the kindness of my wife and children, I was afforded the opportunity to take a step back at one point and, and um, satisfy some intellectual curiosity. And so that's when I first returned to school, and I, have, I ended up, I'm a, I, I guess, probably aptly, uh, uh, labeled a serial collector of, of college degrees. So I returned to college for my first advanced degree uh, at the end of the 1990s. Did you actually take a break from practicing to do that? I went, um, in, our, in our vernacular, I went part-time. Okay. So I was working about two days a week in an operating room. And uh, um, I actually... At, to be more accurate, I decided I needed to break from the operating room. I cut back to two days a week okay. and found that um, found that there weren't a whole lot of people to play with. Okay. Uh, uh, and I mean that kind of literally. I was looking, you know, I've spent more time with my family, obviously. Uh, but if I, I was trying to learn how to, I was a tennis player, uh, a recreational tennis player, and, a, uh, and trying to learn how to golf. And um, I could, I had no trouble finding people to play either of those two, uh -huh. but nobody within 30 years of my age. Okay. So um, then I thought I need to do, I need to find something else to do that's intellectual and stimulating. So I went back to school. Okay. And the very first class I had was a financial accounting class, and that was an eye opener because it introduced the concept to me that. Uh, that there's more to know about running a medical practice than the right dosage of a drug. Okay. Uh, and so I embraced the, the, the uh, educational curriculum of, of the MBA program that I was in. And um, strangely enough, the more I learned, the more I, I learned that I didn't know, okay. and it just kind of fed on itself. So... What happened was that um, as I learned more, I was able to become a better leader. And as I became a better leader, people started to take notice. And there, and that's how I ended up morphing into a guy who can wear multiple hats, working for multiple entities. And uh, and so what one thing kind of led to the other. So the more the more I learned, the the better leader I became. The more successful the group became, and we got to be very large and. and uh, Around the, during the same time that I was in in, in business school, um, I thought, well, you know, we've had some success. 
it took us, we had to get, and I'm not saying this is applicable to everybody that listens to your, to your uh, program uh, or, or to the, the greater anesthesia community, but in our experience at the time, we found that a group of eight to ten uh, was useful for covering call and fulfilling a contractual obligation at a hospital right. or maybe a surgery center, but it didn't really get us anywhere in terms of dealing with the other aspects of the delivery system, like the payers. Uh, for example, we couldn't, we were still price takers in the uh-huh. market at that uh-huh. point. For us, when we hit about 35 to 45 right. in that particular market in that particular time, suddenly people uh-huh. took our phone calls uh-huh. and they didn't roll over and say, well, yeah, okay, you're 35 doctors, we're going to give you more money. Uh-huh. But they would at least listen to a conversation about, okay, I'd like to make more money. What can I provide you uh-huh. so that you will pay me more right, money? Right. Well, interestingly enough, it was very simple. They, well, we, we have some interest in some quality stuff. Uh-huh. We have some interest in uh, in a more uh, more diverse geographic footprint. Uh-huh. You think you guys can do some of that? Right. Absolutely. Uh-huh. What What are you interested in us uh-huh. measuring? Uh-huh. What are Where are you interested in us working? And and so it led to a, 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 a you know very symbiotic relationship. Right. Uh, and so the group grew and grew. And so before we knew it, we were we we were not in a group of eighty five. We were in a group of one hundred and eighty five uh-huh. physicians. And and uh, and by that point, it morphed from a pure physician practice into the beginning of a of a care team model. Uh-huh. At that time, and even today, and that, this was this was uh, 1997, 1998. The group of 185 then was massive, sure, and it's still yeah. a very large yeah. group even to this day. That did not go unnoticed uh-huh. in in certainly in the North Texas uh-huh. market. And so, um, as as we started to fulfill the needs of um, some of of our customers, the facilities, uh, people said uh, people that I uh, had the pleasure of working with said to me, you know, Mike, you seem to be a bright guy. You bring a unique set of characteristics uh, to bear here. Um, Would you be interested in doing some work for us? Mm -hmm. And I was having fun. Uh, So I said, sure, I'd be happy to. So as uh, all this was going on, I did the typical things anesthesiologists do who think they're leaders mm-hmm. and are leaders. I'm, right. not, I'm not denigrating this, but I was a, became the department chair mm-hmm. of a hospital. I helped build a surgery center mm-hmm. uh, and became the, the medical director there. So I did those kinds okay. of classic uh, anesthesiology mm-hmm. leadership positions. Um, but I, I had this um, real curiosity about why some of the decisions I thought were just idiotic uh-huh. made sense to somebody else because the people uh, the, the people I was dealing with that were not physicians seemed like bright people. So I couldn't understand why they would make some of the decisions that were killing my practice. Okay. And, and for example, um, I can't think of a great example at this point, but sometimes the facility seeking proceduralists to do cases that we just took a beating on. Okay. Why, why would you go right. find a find a right. surgeon who does these kinds uh-huh. of cases and we are hemorrhaging uh-huh. cash? Well, what I learned through some of my accounting right. classes was this this magical concept 
about contribution margin. Uh-huh. So while I may be taking a beating, right. the hospital was actually doing quite well uh-huh. because they may even be losing money on the procedure. But the ancillary services, uh-huh. the imaging, the laboratory, right. the, the other kinds of cases uh-huh. they could attract because they were doing right. this kind of case made perfect sense. Yeah. Once I grasped that, I became a much better partner for them. Uh-huh. And once I became a better partner for them, I became much more attractive to them uh-huh. because I was demonstrating I got the right. bigger picture of the business. So one thing led to another, and, and uh, over time I found myself being the leader of the anesthesia practice, the medical director of a surgery center, and I did, a, I, I, I did an adequate enough job of that for that particular surgical center mm-hmm. company to come to me and say, will you help us on a bigger scale? Uh-huh. So we've got this regional medical director okay. job. Would you be interested in it? Tell me about it. And once I heard what it mm-hmm. entailed, I thought this is just even more fun than okay. I'm having today. Uh, uh, and, and so I, I took that job mm-hmm. with the permission of my anesthesia practice. Okay. And, and the way my partners, my partners have been very gracious uh-huh. with me, but it's, it's there's been some self-serving a- aspects to right. it, too. Certainly didn't help, did not hurt the practice uh-huh. to have one of its prominent members be a regional medical sure. director for a major uh-huh. hospital system. Yeah. Uh, and, um, and, so, and so it just kind of fed on itself. And so at one point I was running one of the country's largest anesthesia practices, certainly one of the largest physician-owned uh-huh. anesthesia practices, and was the regional medical director for, for a major hospital uh-huh. company. And I have, um, in that role, I've got probably 45 surgery centers uh-huh. across the state of Texas and uh-huh. Oklahoma that, that I have some oversight right. of. One of the ways uh, I suspect people are thinking, well, how can you do that? Uh, How can you serve more than one master? And, well, one of them is I I adhere very strictly to my own internal ethic, Uh and and I never betray the confidences Uh and the proprietary information from one to the other. And if I'm, when I see that I could be in a situation where that's going to occur, uh, I, I, I put a stop to it. And in fact, it's kind of a running joke in this major hospital company that I, I work for, uh, because even people who have known me for a long, long time are prepared for the conversation to begin with me saying, I need to make sure you know who I am. Uh-huh. Well, Mike, I know who you are. Right. We've had lunch together last week. No, just for the record. I run the Pinnacle Anesthesia right. Practice. And I'm sitting here in front of you today as your regional medical director. Uh-huh. You know that. Right. Oh, my God, of course. Well, I feel better just right. reminding you. Uh-huh. And if you need me to take one hat off and put the other one on, I will. But just just know that. And, and I think people have appreciated yeah. that. And then on a functional, operational level, personally, I'm able to do it not because I'm working uh-huh. 20 hours of the day, right. but I am very focused there is a lot of extraneous stuff that we invite into our lives. And I see anesthesiologists doing this all mm-hmm. the time. You have to understand what's really important uh-huh. and what's not. And, and, and kind of the, the, the way I view it is it's, it's, it's a twist on the picking your battles wisely. Uh-huh. Um, we fight over things that have absolutely yeah. nothing of, of value uh-huh. in them. 
and, and if you can start to eliminate those kinds of things, you will find a lot of time uh-huh. if you just focus. And then the third hat, so, I, so running a major anesthesia practice, being a regional medical director for a major hospital company, and then uh, being the chief executive officer for MCARES Anesthesia, uh, that was kind of an extension. Um, it, was, it was a natural fit. A pinnacle, the Pinnacle practice went looking for a strategic partner five years uh-huh. ago and uh, kind of looked, ar- the, looked around the landscape at the time for various reasons, including very specific market-driven mm-hmm. reasons, MCARE was the right choice for yeah. Pinnacle to do to, to do a, a relation, form a relationship with. And so when when MCARE acquired the Pinnacle uh, Management Services Organization, part of the deal was that I would come over and become the CEO of MCARE's uh-huh. anesthesia division, which I did. And so uh, and, and and that relationship meant that um, part of the business transaction was that MCARE was going to provide management services to Pinnacle. It was a natural that I could do both of those uh-huh, jobs uh-huh. because MCARE was managing right. Pinnacle at the time and there was no, no harm at all in the president of Pinnacle and the chairman of its board also being the CEO of uh-huh. MCARE's anesthesia division. Obviously, now with the transaction with U.S. Anesthesia Partners, that, that was a, uh-huh. a relationship, a personal relationship that had to unwind. Right. Yeah, I wanted to ask you that about that because specifically, uh, it's been reported in the press that uh, your group Pinnacle has joined U.S. Anesthesia Partners, and also that that MCare has uh, sold or, or, or transferred the, the assets that were devoted to to managing uh, a Pinnacle to U.S. Anesthesia Partners. Also, uh, what can you tell us, uh, the sub private, uh, about how? That deal was structured. Well, well, there are marked some limitations as the one I can say. Sure. But what what I can tell you is this. Uh, and first, the caveat is that under um, uh, while I am still the CEO of MCARES Anesthesia Division, uh, and I'm a member, and I'll explain how in a second of U.S. Anesthesia Partners, uh, the, the the Pinnacle practice that's now part of U.S. Anesthesia Partners. I'm not speaking for either organization. Yeah, I understand. Uh, basically, we have prided ourselves in the Pinnacle practice as being forward-thinking mm-hmm. and, and anticipatory, not reactive uh-huh. to the marketplace. We continue to see change in the marketplace and the need to, to grow our skill set. The Pinnacle board uh, authorized the Pinnacle senior leadership, of which I was the, the, the leader, uh, to develop a strategic plan about 18 months or more ago. Uh-huh. And so we, we, we did the standard kind of strategic planning activities. And uh, as a quick aside, the kind of thing that I wish our training programs in anesthesia uh-huh. did more of, uh-huh. uh, precious few anesthesiologists right. understand anything about what strategic uh-huh. planning really means. But when we were doing our environmental analysis uh-huh. uh, uh, as part of the strategic planning process, uh, we, we recognized a couple of deficiencies that um, were prob- going to be problematic for us. Uh, and one of those was that um, as much as we would like to have thought otherwise, we suffered from one of the fundamental problems I think that almost every anesthesia practice suffers from, particularly the smaller uh-huh. ones. 
And that is the inability to understand the concept of retaining capital and investing in the future mm-hmm. of the company. Most anesthesia groups, unfortunately, view the practice as, as a pass-through or a conduit or a cash cow so that every dollar brought in after you extract mm-hmm. whatever the the minimum amount of, of overhead for billing and collecting and those kinds of things needs to be paid out to the doctors every month. Right. And I cannot, my personal feeling is I cannot stress enough how how flawed and potentially catastrophic that line mm-hmm. of thought is. Mm-hmm. Uh, b- because uh, if you don't invest in the company, you're in essence not investing in yourself. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's, it really short changes. Change, short changes you, uh, the company, and the opportunities that that you could possibly have. We recognize that deficiency, and we thought, well, okay, we can we can probably overcome that culture. Uh-huh. It's going to take some work. But even one, even after we get to the point where we have decided we're going to invest some capital, where are we going to invest it? And just for clarity, I'm not saying invest in stocks and bonds and that kind of investment. I'm talking about the real kind, real hard asset infrastructure kinds of investments in the company. Uh-huh. So we need to, um, we needed, uh, we clearly recognize, as I think, or at least as I hope most anesthesiologists and CRNAs do, the need for us to to be able to to measure the things that are important. So we need to measure much more uh, intimately the quality of the product we're producing. We need to measure. The, the, the efficiency and effectiveness of the business processes because the old adage about you, you can't manage what you don't you can't measure uh, is is absolutely true. So if we can get to the point where we we're going to invest some money in our business, how are we going to invest it? And so um, we decided at that point we needed to find a partner to do that with. And so we did what every group out there who's contemplating this kind of thing does. And so we went and thought, well, okay, we we want to put our own money in, but we'd be nice. Sure, we'd be nice if we could get someone else to put some money uh-huh. into because maybe our infrastructure requirements are going to outstrip our ability uh, to make those kinds of, of capital investments. So we looked at private equity. We looked at internal fundraising. Uh-huh. Maybe some, if not the whole group, maybe some of the partners would ante up some cash uh-huh. and uh, and then we also looked at strategics uh, like MCARE and Team Health and uh-huh. Medinax and those kinds of guys. And um, ultimately, the right thing for the Pinnacle practice to do was was to do a deal with U.S. Anesthesia Partners. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. there are many reasons why that's true, and I'll let U.S. Anesthesia Partners and my former co- Pinnacle colleagues comment on that. But I will say emphatically it was the right uh-huh. decision for Pinnacle to partner with U.S. Uh-huh. Anesthesia Partners. May not be the right decision for other groups, uh, uh, and and, and um, maybe it's private equity, and maybe it's just to uh, stay independent and figure out uh-huh. other ways to solve the problem. Uh-huh. I think they are all viable out there. So the only thing I can say unequivocally was, or is, for Pinnacle, it was the right decision uh, to make. Um, now the relationship with MCARE um, is a little complicated. I think the relationship was a, was certainly a good relationship, uh-huh. but you've you've got to look at the underlying premise here. And uh, a topic maybe for another day would be the uh, you know the views of people, and I certainly have very strong views about 
where anesthesiology uh-huh. is going. Uh-huh. Uh, I think there's certainly uh, a role for single specialty uh-huh. practice uh-huh. out there, uh, but there's some the potential landmines that you're going to have to look out for if that's the road you right. choose. Uh, I've been thinking lately and writing a little bit lately of, of, around relating what we do in anesthesia in terms of the care of the of the surgical patient and the perioperative process uh, in, in a fashion akin to how businesses look at supply chain management. Uh-huh. Uh, as proud as I am of, of being an anesthesiologist, I recognized a long time ago that I am producing only a part of the surgical uh-huh. experience for uh-huh. the patient, a very important right. part uh, of the surgical pa- for the surgical patient, but but not the totality of it. And, and um, I think a lot of anesthesia groups fail to appreciate that. So if you're going to go the single specialty route, you're going to have to figure out ways to, to um, increase the communication and improve the transaction uh, that you the transactions that you have with the other supplier uh-huh. of the product because every transaction has some cost right. some overhead uh, that has to be dealt with and um, and that and that's really I think the issue for the single specialty uh, uh, guys is they're going to have to figure out how they're going to interact with the surgeons and how they're going to interact with the facilities and the payers. And that's part and parcel with the way uh-huh. we've always done it. On the MCARE side, certainly willing to play in that single specialty uh-huh. space. And, and I, uh, and then I'm confident MCARE is not at all going to back out of that space. Uh-huh. On the other hand, MCARE does things other than just anesthesia. Sure, sure. It does hospital medicine. It does uh, clearly does emergency medicine. It does surgical uh-huh. acute care surgery and surgical practices. Uh-huh. And, and so the view of the perioperative experience looks a little different on right. the MCARE side because since they own uh-huh. surgeon practices, hospital medicine uh-huh. practices, uh, they can put a different kind of product on, sure. on the table. Now, I believe it's a big space. Uh-huh. Uh, I believe that uh, bright people uh, will be successful whether they go single specialty mm-hmm. and and uh, or they go with the multi specialty approach. Um, so I, I'm very confident both companies are going to be very successful. Mm-hmm. And, and I've gotten to know the guys in in US Anesthesia Partners and and their financial backers and and they are exceedingly bright people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, they will do well. MCare is going to do very well yeah. too. Uh, and then they're there are other potential models uh-huh. out there uh-huh. as well. W- one of the things that I, I kind of struggle with, uh, um, I, I try to stay in touch with what's going on in the environment. So I read the, I read the blogs of uh-huh. some of my fellow anesthesiologists, uh-huh. and there's some very excellent writers and very thoughtful uh, uh, anesthesiologists who are putting some really compelling things out uh-huh. on the Internet. Uh, and sometimes I agree with them, and sometimes I disagree with them. But as I read what they're writing, and, uh, and particularly the younger generation, if you go to like one of the websites um, where the residents and the med students hang out, like Student Doctor, uh-huh. the Student uh-huh. Doctor website, there's this, there's this uh, almost violent, visceral opposition to employment. Uh, uh, by the hospital uh-huh. or by uh, by other entities, uh-huh. and you know the entrepreneur in me recognizes why some of that emotion is okay. there, 
but on the other hand, I'm not so sure that employment, uh, 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 just as a blanket uh-huh. solution, isn't going to work for some people. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I mean, at the end of the day, I think most of us want to take good care of patients and be paid a respectful uh-huh. income for doing right. so. And if employment gets you there, uh-huh. I'm not so sure that uh-huh. I understand why uh-huh. people are so violently opposed to it. Particularly when some of the opposition, at least I, as I read about it, is coming from people who are employed. Uh-huh. The academics are all employed. Sure. Uh, so uh, I, I wonder about that. So I think all of those models are, are going are going to work. Uh, um, at least have the potential for uh-huh. working. Uh-huh. But as as others have said. Uh, execution is where theory goes to die. <laughs> so uh, we, yeah, shall see, uh, we shall see. We shall see. Just because the model can work doesn't yeah. mean it's going to work right. for you. It's right. how you, it's how you execute on yeah. it that makes all the difference. But yeah, let me ask you a question about sort of slicing this a different way. You you commented uh, about multi-specialty and single specialty. Uh, what about local groups? Uh, versus large groups. And when I talk about local groups, I don't necessarily mean a group that works only at one hospital or one hospital and a couple little surgery centers. It could be a group that works at five or six or even ten hospitals. What do you think the future is uh, in terms of, you know, if that's a definition of local, local versus sort of large regional versus the national players, whether it's in, let's just say, single specialty. I mean, how do you see local groups being able to compete and to sort of pile on something else? As far, if you could comment on what sort of expertise you think they have to develop, whether truly it's developing it themselves or whether it's developing it by way of, in essence, buying it through affiliating with an MSO-type model entity uh, or buying it sort of on the spot, certain services from one provider, certain services from another type of provider. That, that is an excellent question, Mark, and, and um, I'm, I'm going to give you a potentially surprising answer yeah, because knowing what I've said previously, I, I've run a very large physician on anesthesia practice and I work uh, as the CEO for a publicly traded multi-specialty practice. I, People may be surprised when I say I actually think there there should be no competitive advantage uh-huh. uh, that either of those two entities that I have represented or represent uh-huh. have over a well-run local practice because it's not the model. People tend to focus on the model and not on the end product. Uh-huh. If we have customers. I know I, I anger some of my colleagues when I uh, when I start talking business speak and start talking about customers. Patients are patients, but patients are customers mm-hmm. as well. Sure. But we in the anesthesia business have lots of customers. We have surgeons. We have payers. We have hospitals. We have surgery centers. We have lots of customers. The model is irrelevant as long as you're meeting the customer's needs. Mm-hmm. Where the local groups tend to go wrong is they either lose sight of that or never appreciate uh-huh. I've had conversations with, I, I do business wearing any and all of the hats that I've been blessed to wear with hospital leadership, hospital system leadership, and hospital company, publicly traded uh-huh. company leadership. Almost to a person, 
they will tell you that the last thing they want to do is employ a bunch of physicians. Sure. But they will if that's the only way uh -huh. they can have their needs met. Uh -huh. So if the local group can provide a solution that meets the needs of, of whatever customer you want to talk about, they can be relatively safe. Now, I know a lot of people are sitting there saying, well, what I mean is you roll over and capitulate. It's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying if you go in and have an honest dialogue, and, and let me give you a very sure. concrete and probably inflammatory mm -hmm. example. And, and I, you know, as you know, I've written a little stuff in the lay, lay media about the future of anesthesia and the future of the care team. Mm -hmm. and, and some of what I've written by a few people has been misinterpreted. They think I am an advocate for the elimination of physician anesthesia. Mm -hmm. Could not be further from the truth. What I am an advocate for is delivering the right product at the right time at the right price. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to solve a lot of people's problems, including my own as a member of society, mm -hmm. because we cannot keep paying right. what we're paying for health care. So the conversation should, if, if your attitude, well, let, me, let me paint a very concrete example here. If you are philosophically wedded to all physician anesthesia all the time, and your hospital partner comes to you and says, I cannot afford to keep paying you uh -huh. many millions of dollars in subsidy uh -huh. for this product. Can you give me an alternative that still meets my quality need uh -huh. and the needs of my surgeons? If your answer is no, it can't be done, it's got to be all physician, uh -huh. and this is what I work for. Uh -huh. I don't want to hear about it right. when someone walks in and says, yes, I can meet those quality needs by doing some things uh -huh. differently. Uh -huh. That's listening to your customer. Uh -huh. Now, if you're philosophically wedded to all physician anesthesia, I respect that. Uh -huh. But if someone can offer the same quality at a lower cost, don't be surprised when you are replaced. Uh -huh. uh, most most groups, and that's a pretty concrete, as I said, right. probably inflammatory example to some, but it's that way across the board. I need more coverage. I need more day rooms on weekends. Uh -huh. I need rooms, you know, running till 5 o'clock. Right. The answer should never be no uh -huh. as you're opening Gambra. The answer should be a question. Tell me what problem we're really trying right. to solve here. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. And maybe I can come up with right. an even better solution uh -huh. than your solution right. that appears to cost me money and uh -huh. make me work harder. Uh -huh. the, the, uh, that's a skill that I picked up in, uh, I think I had as an innate part of my, my personality, but it was brought home to me in one of my other, my other advanced degrees. <laughs> Uh, when I took a negotiation class, uh, uh, and, and the approach of the professors in this class was around a, an integrative approach to negotiation. Uh -huh. So the idea is to stay out of this positional negotiation right. where anything you win uh -huh. means I lose uh -huh. and vice versa. And so I almost always try to do a couple of things when I'm approached with a problem. And that is the first thing is I want to understand what problem you think you have. Uh -huh before I give you an answer. Uh, and, and unfortunately, I think most groups, particularly the ones that I've had, unfortunately, from their perspective, success in replacing, uh -huh. Uh -huh. Their, reproach, their approach is to answer before they even understand what the right. question is. 
So my, my best piece of advice when you're dealing dealing with a hospital or a surgical group is let me understand more about what your problem is, mm-hmm. and then I can give you a palette of possible answers mm-hmm. to, to choose from. Uh, and then the you know the the corollary to that is once once I understand what your problem is. Let me make sure, or let me try to make sure you understand what my issues are. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, because frequently, uh, the other side doesn't really understand what constraints right. the right. world has put on, on, uh-huh. on us in the anesthesia. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and I, I have learned that reasonable people can get reasonable deals done uh-huh. if you just give, give it a chance. Right. Fortunately, that's another skill yeah. that's not taught in residency. Yeah. In general, as we wrap up, what are your sort of overall thoughts on the, the future of medicine, the, the role of physicians in general, the, the role of anesthesia providers? Big question. I'll, I'll, be as, I'll give you a pretty short answer. Sure. I, I am very optimistic about the future of medical practice. But my caveat to that is um, it's going to change. And so if you are a dyed-in-the-wool kind of physician who thinks that the way it was done uh, 20 years ago or 40 years ago is the way it's going to be done, then I'm afraid you're going to be very disappointed. Personally, I think physicians need to do what physicians need to do uh-huh, uh-huh. and not anything else. Yeah. If somebody else can do the same job uh-huh. at a lower cost, then why would I not right. want to, to do that? And, and and I find it personally a little disingenuous. I'll probably get myself in trouble with this comment. But every physician I know, every anesthesiologist I know, shops hard for every other product they buy. So if they're going to paint their house or if they're going to get lawn service or, or they're going to buy a washer and a dryer, they look for the best value, right. and that's quality and price uh-huh. uh, that go into value. And yet we think that the rest of the world shouldn't do that uh-huh. with us. So I, I take absolutely no offense when people ask me why we feel so strongly about what it is we, we uh, pardon me, tell the world about. Uh, we ought to be able to prove where our value uh-huh. is. And if, if it's proven that the value lies someplace else, then then we should accept that and try to figure out ways to create value uh, to, to remain relevant. I, I think um, the role of the anesthesiologist uh, it, it can be and will be very bright, um, but it's going to take some effort for us uh-huh. to get there. Uh, if if we confine ourselves to the four walls of the operating room, I, I believe our future, um, we will be ultimately uh, subservient to some other master. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I applaud the efforts of the ASA to try to expand uh, our roles in, in the perioperative surgical home. But the, once uh, once again, as I said before, uh, execution is where theory goes to die, and just laying claim to the name is not going to uh-huh. get us there. We're going to fundamentally have to change how we're trained and the skills that we have, and we're going to have to be more willing to step outside of our comfort right. zone. I mean, from my perspective, there are very, very few reasons why a contract, an anesthesia contract, goes out to bid. And it's almost always related to finances and service. And in my world, uh, um, 
you can tie those two together with the, the bigger moniker back to your original question. It's a leadership issue. Uh-huh. Uh, a, a, a group that has strong leadership uh, will almost uh, never have financial or service issues that can't be overcome in uh-huh. some fashion. Uh-huh. Uh, but what unfortunately what happens is that there isn't a lot of strong leadership out there. And so companies like either like my pinnacle practice uh, or, or, uh, or the MCARE practice or any of the many competitors in the marketplace get invited in when, when, people, um, when people can't get a solution that's ultimately going to work for them. The reason we're invited in is because of, of truly of a lack of leadership, but it's manifested as deficiencies in, in financial performance or, or service. I think the future of anesthesia clearly still has to have at its core the, the provision of the care. Uh-huh. So taking good care of patients, being physicians, doing the diagnosis, the therapeutic work, absolutely fundamental to to what we're, we uh-huh. do and will do in anesthesia. But if we're going to be perioperative physicians, the skill set has got to be broadened uh-huh. and broadened immensely. And, and that's why, at least for me, the concept of, of supply chain management resonates so well because what we're trying to create, what the world needs to create for the surgical patient is, is probably best defined by the perspective of the surgical patient. Uh-huh. They're not buying anesthesia. Right. They're buying the successful completion uh-huh. of, of a surgical procedure and the return back to society uh-huh. in the best shape they can be. Right. Unfortunately for us, our focus is just on the operating room. Our skill set at this point is just on the operating room. And so while we're trying to lasso this greater perioperative surgical home, somebody has got to be the manager of the entire experience. Uh-huh. And that's where I think we need to go as a specialty. Unfortunately, I'm not sure that the people who are in, currently in leadership roles, both in the training programs and, and in our national society, understand the price that's going to have to be paid to get there. Uh-huh. And, and also, to be fair, I'm not sure many of my partners in anesthesia agree with me there. Uh-huh. But somebody at some point, healthcare is consumed at increasingly at the macro level, right. not at the micro uh-huh. level. The, the successful group in the future, whether it's an anesthesia group or a payer or an employer or the, even the U.S. government, is going to be buying their services at the macro uh-huh. level. And the, the level, to the extent we can get out there and be leaders in that, I think the, uh-huh. the better for us. In, in closing, is there, are there any other thoughts that, that you'd like to share with the audience? It could be about any of the points you raised, anything you'd like to add. I'm very bullish on the future of anesthesia. Uh, I, I, it was, it's a great career choice for medical students, uh, particularly if, um, you know, one of the advantages the current generation in training has, and, and I have a daughter, my middle daughter, very proud of her, is, is a medical student. And she, with a little nudging from her father, uh, uh, narrowed her 
choices of schools down to the schools that offer opportunities to do more than just medical school. Okay. In her particular case, she's getting a combined degree, a medical degree, and a, a master's in public health. Uh-huh. And I, I, I would encourage uh, both those in training and those who have a real interest in, in taking the specialty where it needs to go to get that kind of skill set. You, a, a few accounting classes are not going to make you an accountant, just like a few health law uh-huh. classes are not going to make you a lawyer. But it, it gives you a bigger palette on which to paint uh-huh. to having some fluency in, 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 in all of those things and all the other things. Uh, my, my training, formal education in, in leadership and management, uh, people when they when they hear me speak and when I write, I'm constantly drawing on the, the the body of knowledge that's been in the business community, the business world for decades now. You know, folks like Drucker and Christensen uh-huh. on on the, on the management side, uh, Porter on the strategy side, uh, Stewart and and um, Deming uh, on the quality side. There's a wealth of information uh-huh. out there that the successful anesthesia yeah. group and the successful leader in anesthesia uh-huh. needs to be at least conversant and if not fluent. So th- that's how I would close. The future is bright as long as you equip yourself with the right skills. And the skills are out there. All you have to do is seek them. Well, Mike, I want to thank you very, very much for taking the time to uh, be interviewed. And I'd uh, welcome the chance to talk to you again in the future. Well, thank you, Mark. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you.